All right, welcome. I'd like to get into things pretty quickly today, so I'll just leave a reminder that for anyone who is new to the show, please pause, jump back, check out the quick intro. It gives a lot of great context about what this project is really about, and you might be a little bit confused if you don't. So I, I suggest anyone who's new to, to check that out. That's the intro. It's the very first episode of the show, and it's only about seven minutes long. But for those of you who are returning, just another reminder to subscribe to our Substack newsletter. That's impostorsanonymous.substack.com. We've got some supplemental content coming out on a weekly basis, so it's the best place to keep tabs on the show and, and show your support. It will always be offered for free, so that's always an option, but anyone that is really getting value from the show and feels compelled to support, that's awesome and, and obviously appreciated. But other than that, we'll jump right into it. So thanks for giving this a shot, and I hope you enjoy. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. The past is just a story we tell ourselves. Welcome to Imposters Anonymous. Thank you all for joining, as always. It's just me here on the record again today. After getting some feedback about the first solo episode, I decided to kind of revisit this format, and we'll have to see if it becomes a a regular feature or not, but either way, I, I think I'm enjoying exploring this format a little bit and just trying some new things, and I've at least found that this project has is is continuing to be something that's that's more and more therapeutic for for me as an experience and I'm hoping to find better ways to create that sort of experience for the guests and maybe in time even the audience so what is the meaning of life it's a question that we've all faced at some point in our lives we seem to have evolved to be obsessed with this question we search for meaning nearly everywhere looking up at the stars, watching our loved ones pass away, the unspeakable feelings and connections we can share with one another. Something has always convinced us there's more to life than what is obvious and on the surface. And as as far as I see it, there's a handful of ways that reliably can be sources of meaning in our lives, at least conventionally speaking. And that's through family, or more specifically having children, through religion or faith-based beliefs, through an individual's work or profession, career, however you want to frame that. And lastly, I would throw in ideology as well. And it, it seems as though people are becoming more and more aware of the incredible costs of each of these sources of meaning, and many people are, are simply opting out. As we learn more about our evolutionary history and motives, it it begs the question if the game we're programmed to play is is worth playing at all. Now, to be fair, it it seems as though ideology is gaining the most steam as a perceived antidote to the spiritual 
crisis or crisis of meaning. As some put it, the world has been on a crash course with since probably World War II. I have my own concerns about this trend, but we'll get to that later, I suppose. Now, I think it's important to note that I'm not here to pass judgment on anyone who derives deep meaning from any of these sources. This world can be a harsh, painful, and deeply unfair place to exist. Anything that helps people experience sustained satisfaction and hope is, is not to be balked at. I'm only trying to put forward that an increasing number of people by choice or by nature are no longer resonating with these means, for better or worse. That's a real problem to solve. How do we keep people from feeling unmotivated or civically and socially disengaged or overwhelmed by existential angst? How do we continue to invest in the future of our species without a sense of purpose? I'll be the first to acknowledge that there's a version of nihilism that is quite liberating and vital. But there's also a version of nihilism that is as frightening and destructive as as anything we face in this world. Maybe let's just take a moment to offer up the most basic question here. I'll direct it towards you. What is your purpose in life? Really? Now, if you don't have an obvious automatic response that you can say with real conviction, which to be fair, I don't really either, I think you might find some value in sticking around to see where this goes. Now, if your response emphatically denies that there's any purpose at all, and that's something you feel good about and earnest, and don't think is limiting you in life at all, then maybe you're honestly far more evolved than I, and this episode probably isn't for you. But I'm working under the assumption that there's something fundamentally important to thriving as a human that involves a sense of meaning or purpose in life. And if that's true, I think searching for ways to achieve this end and satisfy our evolutionary drives while avoiding as much unnecessary suffering and delusion as possible is as important of a line of inquiry as any. With that in mind, I think it might make sense to break down each of these conventional sources of meaning just a bit and highlight their appeal as well as their limitations. So I guess I'll start with having children, procreation as we often put it, Now, it might come as a surprise to some people that roughly 10 to 15% of couples in the U.S. struggle to conceive. And though the percentage that is ultimately incapable is is more like 5 to 10%, that's still undoubtedly a non-trivial portion of the population. Simply put, for a lot of people, giving birth to children is not an option. And that's always been the case, and in theory even more so before modern medicine. Even when it's perfectly possible to quote-unquote follow our instincts and procreate, passing our worthy genes to the next generation, it's completely reasonable to question if it's actually something worth doing. Whether it's genetic complication or risk factors, financial limitations, a simple lack of parental instinct, even lifestyle choices, prioritizing a career or freedom, difficulty finding a suitable and sustainable partner, I mean, there, there are plenty of reasons to have trepidations about bringing a child into this world. Now, to be fair, there's few more direct ways to inject a significant degree of purpose into your life than having a child. Upon arrival, they immediately become the primary priority in your life. You might even forget what it means to put yourself first. They are completely dependent on you to simply survive, let alone be prepared to become a thriving adult in an endlessly complicated world. If you do your job well, you will 
love and support them unconditionally until you die. And after you die, in, in most cases, they will carry on not only your genes, but your stories, lessons, and ideas. Now, if that's not meaningful, I, I don't know what is. But we've already established that there's lots of things that can be meaningful. I sometimes find it helpful to assess things in terms of the value over replacement. A uh, popularized sports statistic. To avoid a major digression here, I'll just say that this sort of measurement encourages us to consider if there's a way to derive a similar amount of value, or in this case meaning, out of a certain action at a considerably lower cost. Of course, this would be an incredibly hard thing to precisely measure, but I still think it's a mental exercise worth exploring to gain a better understanding of the relevant options in any given situation. I'm not here to pretend like I've got this all figured out, but Again, I think it's possible that there's various ways to play the game that's built into our hardware, which of course is a game that's far more complicated than the animalistic, do whatever it takes to create and protect your own offspring credo it's often distilled down to. Simply looking out for ourselves and our own is far from an optimal strategy, but I guess I'll put a tab in that for now. So moving on to religion. In many ways, the connection between religion and meeting is quite obvious. Some might argue that religion at its base was a direct result of early humans sort of questioning the meaning and and purpose of existence. We looked for meaning and we found it in all sorts of ways across the globe. Religion has always been an integral part of human history and progress, but over the past few decades, at least in the U.S., We've seen a steady increase in individuals who either are unconvinced altogether or hardly invested at best. This is hardly mysterious considering the increases in science literacy and individualism, as well as decreases in institutional trust and respect in this country, but at the same time, on whole, the majority of our planet's population still identifies as religious. I think something like 85%. My personal views on religion aside, it's it's clear that there's something valuable there, even if it's uniquely vulnerable to corruption and manipulation. I personally can attest to the fact that my mother largely endured her bout with breast cancer with a positive outlook and a host of other misfortunes throughout her life due to her faith. Millions of people suffer deeply every day, and the only thing that inspires them to persevere is a belief that, on one level or another, their sacrifice has a higher purpose. You could argue that one of our most crucial advantages as a species that allowed us to transcend the food chain is our capacity to delay gratification. Nearly everything we do exceptionally well as a species can be traced back to a propensity to think in the long term and make sacrifices in the short term in the name of larger payoffs in the future. What could be a more perfect manifestation of this ideal than to extend the timeline of gratification beyond life itself, to make any earthly sacrifice endurable? To frame life as a simple preamble to an eternal existence of exponentially greater significance. Now, of course, there are pitfalls to this line of reasoning and practice, but in principle, it's it's certainly a fascinating adaptation and is worth bookmarking. Regardless, there's a significant portion of the population that isn't disposed to take the bait on this front, but still probably needs to be able to delay gratification, play long-term games, and maintain some sense of purpose to be able to get far in life without being brought to their knees by every trial and tribulation. 
but for now I'll move on to profession or work. In an ideal world, we'd all have jobs that were genuinely fulfilling and financially satisfying. Sure, some people work for highly effective nonprofits or start successfully socially-minded ventures or save lives on the front lines. But for most people, the perfect alignment of their passions, unique skills, and work is not a reality. I don't mean to suggest that it's not something worth striving for, depending on your situation, but I think that expecting your source of income to also be the primary source of purpose and meaning in your life can be a bit of a trap. Of course, if you're going to spend 40 hours a week for 40 plus years doing something, I think it's probably important that you don't hate it. You ought to be respected and reasonably valued, but not everyone finds their dream job or comes home every day with their purpose bucket overflowing, and that's okay. I think all jobs have a certain dignity and value to add to society, but it's okay to not be inspired by an abstract narrative about being an essential cog in an elegant machine. All that to say, sometimes work is just work, an exchange of time and production for money, and life is by no means robbed of meaning without a compelling means of paying the bills. Now, if your work lights you up and helps you wake up every morning with a sense of gratitude and excitement, that's a beautiful thing, and I'm honestly happy for you. But I'm skeptical that this sort of relationship with one's work is a prerequisite to a profoundly fulfilled life. And I would imagine that my views on this topic might differ a bit if I grew up in a more collectivist culture than we have here in the States, but nonetheless, in the US, the latest generation entering the workforce is finding it harder and harder to require gainful, sustainable, and meaningful employment. Of course, this is the land of opportunity, so many are turning to alternative means and entrepreneurship of every variety. But still, the large majority of small businesses fail in the long term, and those who don't are run by a small portion of the population. Ultimately, for most, work is simply not enough, when it comes to purpose at least. I suppose I'll round things out with ideology, the one dimension of this paradigm that's actually probably gaining steam, especially in the predominant culture and on social media, despite the fact that there's a growing, though proportionately much smaller movement of individuals who see most ideologies as just as problematic as religions. Now, by definition, religions and ideologies are hardly discrete, but we tend to speak about them separately as a society, so I decided to keep them distinct today. Both are generally faith-based and present a set of ideals and a worldview that is meant to guide the actions of its followers. Most religions tend to believe in some sort of omnipowerful supernatural entity, while ideologies tend to be more focused on believing in a particular framing or story of the past, as well as a particular vision of what a quote-unquote better future would be. Either way, both are generally based in theory and subjective experience as opposed to objective evidence. This is where the trouble with ideology begins to rear its head. Like religion, it tends to present a set of relatively inflexible ideas, which often leads to a certain degree of closed-mindedness in its followers. Many ideologies are built around a single principle or supposition that, if proven wrong, would invalidate the entire framework that has been built around it. So the cost of truly bringing this sort of foundational belief into question often seems too high. Anyone who questions this is easily labeled as a misguided outsider, or at worst an enemy, and from these notions, tribalism arises rather quickly. Interest in hearing out the opposition typically fades once this distinction is made, and 
a lack of discourse leaves either side more entrenched in their beliefs over time. Now, of course, this isn't always the case, and some ideologies are more open-minded than others, but there's definitely something to be said about identifying as anything and accepting the label that seems to make people less objective and tolerant in the way they approach the world and the beliefs of others. So, for example, there's populism, and I guess I might call it uh, neo-anti-racism, that are growing ideologies across the globe, but others like environmentalism, socialism, feminism, capitalism, intersectionality, nationalism, and I suppose I'll throw in just garden variety racism, are ideologies that most people are probably familiar with to some degree, just for a frame of reference. But to get back to the actual point, maybe now as much as ever, individuals are finding meaning and purpose by turning to ideologies that resonate with them on an emotional level and inspire action. People want to feel like they're making a real difference in the world and doing their part, fighting the good fight. To paraphrase Viktor Frankl's uh, essential memoir, A Man's Search for Meaning, the meaning of life very well may be discovering a fight we truly deem worth fighting, and finding an ism to stand behind is a pretty surefire way to achieve that. Though many people are walking away from the perceived rigidity, oppression, and corruption of organized religion, it seems they're not losing their desire to be compelled by a certain set of principles that simplifies the world and puts them on the right side of history. On the one hand, for many, this is probably a net positive transition, and as someone who grew up in the Catholic faith, I'll be the first to acknowledge that most organized religions are rife with problems, but for some, there's certainly an argument that it's more of a lateral step. And you only have to get so creative to imagine a scenario in which it's an utter regression, like a Buddhist becoming a neo-Nazi. Anyhow, I'm certainly not trying to defend religion, and I'm only suggesting that ideologies tend to share a similar set of pitfalls and ought to be approached with a reasonable degree of skepticism as a source of ultimate purpose in life. So up until this point, I've taken on the pretty easy task of pointing out the inadequacies of what is common. But anyone can be a critic, and you're probably wondering if I actually have anything to offer as an alternative. And to be honest, I'm not certain that I do. But I'm here today to try and see what can be found beyond the confines of these conventional means of purpose. I worry I might end up dangerously close to ideological when it is all said and done, but I'll take a stab nonetheless. So it's commonly understood in the world of science and evolutionary biology specifically that our behavior is largely bound to evolutionary motives and our genes drive to continue to be passed on and expressed, hence the earlier point about having children. If having as many offspring as we could support was the best strategy on this front, and this motivation is our most fundamental nature, on some level it would seem kind of futile to entirely resist. When searching for ultimate meaning and purpose in life, one's most basic nature seems like a most unfortunate adversary. Maybe Jung's archetype of the shadow illustrates this point well. The shadow generally refers to the quote-unquote darker side of the psyche, repressed ideas, desires, and weaknesses which are generally derived from our natural instincts. Jung suggested that instead of trying to run from the shadow, or destroy it, or pretend that it doesn't exist, one might be best served by accepting it and learning to remain in an ongoing conversation or relationship with it. 
So this brings us back to living a meaningful life when our nature pushes us in a direction we don't think serves us well. But maybe our nature serves us better than we think, and it's our limited understanding of our nature that leaves us conflicted. Even in the early days of our species, attempting to secure our genes' place in future generations involved more abstraction than simply looking after your own children at all costs. Sure, one's children share 50% of their DNA, but the same could be said about one's siblings. So one's nieces and nephews share 25% of their DNA, and so on. So the relevant cohort extends to one's blood relatives, which, in a small tribe, often included a decent portion of the entire tribe. But it, of course, does not stop there. The success of the tribe was predicated on the strength, health, and cohesion of the entire tribe. The loss of a single productive member of the tribe could dramatically reduce the likelihood of the survivor of the whole tribe itself when faced with outside threats. So it was in everyone's interest to remain invested in the success of everyone else. Now this might seem a bit elementary, but the point is that this, of course, is still the case today, even though we've advanced in countless ways. Yet now, in the age of nearly infinite leverage through technology and the internet particularly, our capacity to influence both future generations and the overall collective good has reached an unprecedented level. We are all connected now, in much more than an abstract sense. Modern technology makes it possible for essentially any two humans on this planet to interface with one another. For the past several decades, we've held the power to completely obliterate ourselves from our planet, and have been something like a coin flip away from that happening on more than one occasion. If we're not already there, um, exponential advancements in fields like synthetic biology and artificial intelligence make the day a single motivated hacker or virologist could bring the world to its knees seem all but inevitable. Now, more than ever, it's crucial that no one is left behind, that everyone matters. The cost of letting a single individual slip through the cracks will only increase. That said, the potential of one person to push the species forward has trended similarly. The influence you have on a single person, whether they're your offspring or not, could drastically change the trajectory of our species. Think of the impact of the Dr. Kings or the Einsteins or Turings of this world. Our collective future is based on our capacity to start treating everyone like our blood relatives. Darwinian fitness means little if we're unable to make it out of this millennia as a species. If we want our species to reach its potential, or for anyone's genes to be passed down, it seems that the ideas, the memes, the culture, the stories, the technology that stands the test of time will play an irreducible role, and anyone can contribute to that. As long as we commit to the value and importance of every last individual, and foster an environment where people of every variety feel comfortable and even inspired to truly share their perspectives, be curious, push boundaries, and find common ground. I think we'll be all right. But it will come down to the subtle but very real meaning and impact of every single interaction of every single day for all of us. And maybe that's a purpose that leaves no one behind. So for now, I'll leave it at that. But thanks for tuning in for another episode of Imposters Anonymous. Don't forget to check us out on Substack. There will be a link in the show notes, and we'll see you next time.